What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Kevin O'Leary is a Canadian businessman, author, politician, and television personality. He's a shark on ABC's hit show, Shark Tank, and has had numerous previous business successes, including when he sold the learning company to Mattel for $4.2 billion in 1999. In this conversation, we discuss Bitcoin, gold, risk management, institutional investors, DeFi, yield farming, regulatory environment, ESG mining, energy consumption, and Kevin's personal portfolio. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. Those products include high-yield interest accounts, U.S. dollar loans against your crypto collateral, and a no-fee cryptocurrency trading platform. They're also coming out with a new Bitcoin Rewards credit card. It's a normal credit card that when you swipe, you get Bitcoin back rather than cash back or airline miles. To start earning today, visit BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. Next up is Choice. Choice is rebuilding the way you approach retirement, which starts with making it simple to include Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in your savings. More than 20,000 Bitcoiners, myself included, have already signed up to start investing. Whether we are talking about crypto or stocks, Choice lets you trade real Bitcoin and Amazon in the same place, all without paying a dime in capital gains taxes. And if you want to hold your own keys all the way to the moon, you can do that too. Either way, Choice is on a mission to give you full control over your retirement savings. So head on over to retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, that's retirewithchoice.com slash pomp and sign up for an account today. And one more thing, you know how I feel about this, but if you have a pro that manages your money, don't take any BS. Choice has tools for them too. Take back control today and visit retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Last but not least are my friends over at Gemini. Gemini is a leading regulated cryptocurrency exchange, a wallet, and a custodian that makes it simple and secure to buy Bitcoin, Ether, and over 30 other cryptocurrencies. They offer industry-leading security, insurance, and uptime. Gemini is the go-to trusted platform for beginner and sophisticated investors alike. You can open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash pomp and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. Again, open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade your first $100 or more within 30 days. Go to Gemini.com slash POMP. All right, let's get into this episode with Kevin. I hope you enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. Kevin is here in person. How long has it been since you've done one of these in person? It's been a while. I mean, we're, you know, Miami's kind of fully open here. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Where do you live? Are you living in Miami now? I am. I live right on the beach, right on Collins Avenue. I love it. I love the Bohemian lifestyle. I walked everywhere. I eat dinner every night. I just love the place. Uh, 
I've seen you multiple times riding your bicycle. We've yeah. gone to dinner. You've ridden the Mr. Wonderful bike there. Yeah. Did you recover it? Somebody stole it? So it got stolen right. in a big uh, big operation. They stole over 100 bikes that night in Vespa's. Uh, on a oh, so this was not a, a targeted no, crime. It, well, I, I found out later, um, it, and I offered a $25,000 reward, I not saw. for the bike. You know, I wanted to catch the guy that did it. So they're an organized crime organization, and they put in a truck, and they put the truck on a barge in the river, and they took maybe 250 bikes that night off the streets of Miami. And what do they do with them? Uh, they apparently sell them. Uh, they take them offshore. They, they put it on a ship <laughs> and, and just... So my Mr. Wonderful is in some South American country right now. <laughs> and Vivalo, the bike company that made it for me, uh, saw it on social media and said, let's do another one even crazier. So I was there last week designing the craziest Miami bike you've ever seen. It's pink. It's red. It's black. You don't have it, though. It's going to, when, it, when you see it, I'm going to be Mr. Wonderful a la Miami. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I feel like you've done a great job. Shark Tank, all the social media uh, CNBC, et cetera. You build this massive audience. Yeah. Uh, how do you think about that stuff versus like the investing activity? Do you still spend a lot of time investing or is it more so now you've got the investments you've got, you've made those investments and now it's more of the the media focus and, and kind of the content? I think a new model is emerging and you're actually part of this new model. And let me explain uh, the way I see it over the last 24 months. So um, let's take a company that is trading, MindMed. When I got approached with that uh, company here in Miami at the Soho Club, second floor, it was a bunch of crypto guys three years ago. One guy there named J.R. Rand said, look, I'm a Kryptonian. However, I also have a great interest in psychedelics as medicine. And I said, you're crazy. Those are illegal drugs. LSD is illegal. Schedule one narcotics, same as cannabis, uh, psilocybin, all of this stuff. He said, no, no, I'm going to go to the FDA, form a company and do clinical trials. There's no recreational use of this. And, uh, you know, I want three million bucks. And I said, you know, it's too crazy, but I'm going to, my guy, Alex, um, who does runs O'Leary Ventures, he's got a team. We'll do due diligence on it. It's intriguing enough. That was three years ago. Alex worked on it for about two months and he really went to town on it and did a lot of research with his guys. And the way my deal with Alex works to give you an idea of how this works, so I probably told you this. I already story. know, but go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> when we do an investment, you know, I'm the bank, I lend him 15%, so his you-know-whats are on the line. He borrows the money from me and he invests beside me. He gets his own stock, but he owes me the dough, 15%, so that I know our interests are aligned. This is the first time in history on MindMed where he came back to me and said, I'm taking your 15% and I'm tripling it with my own dough. And I went, what? Why? And he laid out his case. We ended up investing. That went from a 20 million, 20 million valuation that we bought in at to now 1.7 billion. So it's my biggest winner in years. Uh, but those are the kind of investments. And how did that story happen? This is where social media intersected with the story of MindMed. It got into the Rolling Stone. It was in you know all the news magazines. It was in the popular press. It was all over social media because I was talking about it along with all the other advocates. Mm -hmm. And the story built into a giant company that has over 300,000 shareholders. So my new model, Pomp, is this. You want me to get involved in your business, all right? I want a proprietary position. I don't care what your last round was at. I want to be a founder. So you're going to give up the stock, but then I'm going to turn on my machine. And if you have a, if you have a story of merit, I will explain it to other shareholders and hopefully we'll build this business together using all the tools the new world has. Shows like this, social mm -hmm. media, Yahoo Finance, Benzinga, CNBC, CNN, ABC. 
that's how companies get to be known, not just for shareholders to tell their product story. Why should you care about microdosing LSD? Because it works, or at least it potentially can, and it's going through clinical trials. And it can solve for you know addiction, opioid addiction, anxiety, alcoholism, all these things. Is there a specific type of company that this works for more so than other types of companies? Like, does it have to have some inherent story behind it and some interest? And, and that's really what you're trying to underwrite just as much as the actual investment itself? It's a great question, but the truth is every company has to be able to tell their story in the best light. I don't care if it's really sophisticated technology. I mean, it's much better when it's consumer good or service, but right now, the reason crypto is of such interest globally is the story was told by guys like you for years. Mm -hmm. And it slowly emerged as a story of, you know, store of wealth, if you want to call it that, or a currency, if you want to call it that, whatever it was. It's the fact that investing has become democratized by the Robin Hoods, by the Reddit crowd, by all the news channels, by the cable channels. Business is part of everyday news every day. And so if you can get a following that is interested in your investment philosophy, I invest sustainably, ethically. That's what I do. That's where I came from. That's all I do. And people that are interested in that follow, they don't have to invest with me. They don't have to, they can bet against me, but at least they hear these companies' stories. So my argument is, the value I have to a company now is the ability to take its story and blow it up. Mm -hmm. And then investors will make their own individual decisions. But that's very hard to get to that place. And it's taken me a long time as it has taken you. And I want to use that power wisely. When you think about public markets versus private markets, how much of this is uh, better suited for public markets where there's liquid stock price, there's shareholders, people can make decisions every day to buy, sell, hold, whatever, versus the private market where um, there's not so much uh, access for some investors, right? There's not that liquid uh, kind of daily stock price. Uh, and maybe the impact is more around like helping the business build in terms of getting customers or driving, you know, consumers to check it out or whatever. Is it either or, or can this work across both public and private markets? It's both. And the most powerful platform to tie these together is equity, you know, crowdfunding now, where you can tell a consumer of a product or service that you can become a shareholder at the same time. I'm very intrigued by that. I have a relationship with Start Engine now, one of the largest crowdfunding platforms in the world. So when a company has 100,000 customers that have tried its product, it's still private. We can go to the customers and say, look, you love our product, you love our service, now we're going public, you can buy our shares. You can buy them online. You can put $200 or $2,000 or $20,000 into the company that you've been supporting now for five years. Mm -hmm. And that's this is again another digital you know, crossroads of equity and funding and debt to the consumer, which doesn't have the same issue around timing like a private equity firm does or a venture capital firm where after seven years they turn into a pumpkin and they want a pref share and they want this and they want all these special rights. I'm not into that anymore. I'd rather do, you want to raise 50 million? Let's do it in equity crowdfunding where everybody owns the same share. All the interests are aligned. There's no time bomb. People can buy and sell their stock anytime they want. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, it again goes to the platform what I try and do with my companies that are private is get them customer acquisition costs, get theirs down. And I use my platforms to talk about their products and services. I try to get people to try the products. But you know, at the end of the day, um, I feel a responsibility. I don't endorse products I don't use personally. I think that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I think people can smell bullshit a mile away. So I never do that. You know, I'm, I do things that I use, I like, or I invest in, and I tell my story. And you can either agree or disagree. It's, but at least I get that mega bullhorn to get out there and talk about it. Yeah. Um, when you think about 
your career building up the media side. There's a lot of people who listen who they're very interested in this and more so founders are interested in this as well. So uh, one of the big secrets in venture capital right now is almost on a daily basis, I have a founder that comes to me and says, how do I build my Twitter following? How do I build Facebook? How do I build Instagram? You know, uh, should I create an email newsletter? Like what should I do so that I have the same power? Maybe it's at a smaller scale, but I can talk directly to an audience uh, that's in my vertical or in my industry. And I think that there's a lot of um, kind of value that can accrue there. What are the things that you did that you're like, these were the big inflection points, right? Obviously Shark Tank probably was a big one, but are there other things that you're like, this is how I built this massive platform and kind of made a name for yourself where people were willing to at least listen, hear you out? What I found worked as these, you know, it's a, it's a complex question because I get the same question all the time. How can I get a million followers? Well, it's not that easy. I mean, there's people that try and sell you services to do it. There's all kinds of consultants that try and do it for you. They want you to pay them 15 grand a month. All that stuff happens. But the truth is that social media is, is the great um, democratizer of people that are good storytellers. Because if you have interesting information that may assist somebody um, or they may find interesting, they will tell another about it. They will send that link to somebody else. And that actually, that organic growth occurred pretty quickly for me. It started, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, then a million and then another million. It, and I never changed. I mean, I like to have fun on social media. You know, I'll, I'll, have, I'll play guitar with my pajamas on on Saturday. I'm happy to do that. Um, people play guitar like to do that, you know, just share it. I talk about stocks, I talk about bonds. I get very, very serious about issues around politics. I just lay it out there. And it's all true, and I don't bullshit. And I think that's what worked for me. But I'm very happy to be in different verticals. You know, I can talk about watches with anybody in the world now. I have a massive watch collection. I used to be a shareholder in Fender. I can play guitar. Um, I have Chef Wonderful is a multi-million dollar business now. My wine business is now the largest direct consumer in the country. Really? So, yeah, yeah. We just did 5.1 million in 20 hours on QVC last week. That's wow. an all-time record. So these are different verticals that interest me. And there's different constituents that come into your universe around those interests. I got a huge following of people that like wine. T and, tell me more about the wine business. I don't know anything about this. Yeah, so you know, here's something interesting that I learned. I, I grew up uh, with a, a, a Swiss stepfather who's really taught me in my teenage years how to, uh, you know, the difference between Bordeaux and Burgundy and DRC and the Italian wines and all the varietals. And, and I became interested. And over in Europe, you know, wine is just part of family. It's not about getting drunk over there. They just drink it, you know, maybe one glass or two glasses. It's not a big deal. So kids drink it watered down, whatever. And so I became pretty proficient at the different varietals. I always was interested in why, you know, I'm a collector of wine and an investor. I buy wine futures with a group in Boston. We invest millions of dollars in wine and we try and guess which varietals. Like this year's going to be terrible because it snowed just last week in, in France. It actually snowed. It's, it's unprecedented. And the point is, when you get knowledgeable about it, you get kind of sucked into that lifestyle. So I started a wine business in California where I blended it and I sold it. And um, I was losing money like everybody else, like a lot of money. Everybody goes into it romantically. And I'll joke, if you want to be a millionaire, start as a billionaire in the wine business because you lose a ton of money. And then I met this woman um, through Shark Tank named Annette Alvarez. She was the wine buyer for Costco, the largest buyer of wine in the world is Costco. People don't understand that. Hmm. All the global wines, they are the largest seller of wines as well. And she said, Kevin, um, I, I was trying to sell her a Shark Tank deal of single serve wines. Nobody 
could ever reach her. She was impossible to get to. And I asked one of the guys in my office to go to the dark web and hack her cell number, which I had in 10 minutes. And I called it. And I left a message. And um, I said, listen, I'm the guy on Shark Tank. If you were a Shark Tank fan, I don't know. You saw that deal last night, a single serve wine deal. Cuban and I went into, and I'd love you at Costco to... to uh, this is the Coppola wine or whatever? It was. Yeah, it was yeah. the yeah, and there was another one called Zips as well. And so I left the um, the message and I thought, well, maybe she'll call me back. Ten minutes later, I was up at our lake house, the phone rang, it said, This is Annette Alvarez. I got your message. You were rude to Barbara last night on Shark Tank. I went, What? What? She said, no, you were really rude to her. And I said, I got to tell you something, Annette. Um, the only reason Barbara gets to Shark Tank on time is I buy her a new broom every year. And she didn't think that was a funny joke. But so we you're got, over two with the Yeah, I know. I thought she'd like that, but she didn't. And, and anyways, we got into a conversation. She said, I'm on my way to Hawaii for our annual holiday with my husband. I'll be at John Wayne Airport at 1 o'clock on Saturday. It was Thursday night. And uh, if you want to fly here to meet me, you can bring your wife because I want to meet your wife too. I said, why? She said, I just do. And I want to see a real person. And I said, Linda, we're going to uh, John Wayne. And we flew there. I got an hour of her time. And she told me this. She said, look, you want to sell wine with me? I'm the largest buyer on earth. Um, the only reason you get this hour with me is I'm a huge Shark Tank fan. I have some questions about the show. I'd like to meet you. It's great. But here's what you need to know about the wine business. 97% of wine sold in America is sold for under $14 a bottle. 97%. People don't understand that. That's all of the wine, Pomp. That's mm -hmm. basically, the, the stuff you buy for 60 bucks, mm -hmm. you're in the 3%. Mm -hmm. In order for you to make money, you're gonna have to be able to ship me 150,000 cases a day. If I order a cab from you, I need 150,000 cases. That's just my stocking order. The next day I meet another 100,000. You can't do that. You don't have the capabilities. You don't have the logistics. You can't even understand how much juice that is. If you wanna pull that off, I'm gonna give you the name of a guy named Pat Roney. He owns 19 vineyards and he makes our Kirkland wine. He is our logistics guy. He can ship me 2 million cases. You form a wine company with him, you go 50-50 partnership, then I know you have the logistics skills then, then I'll give you an order and it'll blow your socks off how much wine we can buy from you. I go to see Pat and Pat says, I know you're coming. Annette called me, we're interested. Let's form a relationship. We fought for six months on the terms of it. It ended up being 50-50. Um, it has been wildly successful. Because she was right. The minute we dropped our price point between 11 and 14, we started selling you know, hundreds of thousands of cases. Mm -hmm. And last week I broke a record, never been done before on QVC. We sold $5.125 million worth of wine in 21 hours. That means we have to ship a quarter of a million cases in two days. We can do it. But that's a business that's very profitable now. Mm -hmm. In fact, a SPAC took over um, that company, I'm now a shareholder in uh, Vintage Wine Estates, and it's going to trade on the NASDAQ June 6th. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, you also do direct-to-consumer as well, or it's just Absolutely. all Absolutely. Launching a new site. It'll be announced next week, so I'm a little early on it here, called Shop Mr. Wonderful. And it's going to have not only all my wines, but all my Shark Tank products. So a massive play direct-to-consumer as a result of the pandemic, uh, organized by a great digital team, a lot of work going into this. It's, it's like extending the voice, Pomp, as we mm -hmm. talked about at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. I, you know, what do I do with this voice? These are products I invested in, I use, wines I make, my wife blends the whites, I do the reds. This is our family stuff, try it. It's, a very, it's, it's an honest pitch. Mm -hmm. If you don't like the wines, ship it back. I mean, you know, you can send it back if you want, but when it comes to wine, I've got your back. Nobody makes wine like I do. Yeah, uh, crypto. I think yeah. when we first met, 
yeah. uh, three years ago, maybe now. Yeah. Uh, CNBC set. I didn't know very much about you other than how oh, this guy on Shark Tank. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you knew anything about me. And I told you that had 50% of my net worth in Bitcoin. I thought you were fucking crazy. And uh, well, that, that's a, a nice way of putting it because I think on the segment, what you said was, I forbid you from, <laughs> I forbid I, you. I, I remember we were on the set of Squawk Box yes. and I thought, who is this idiot? Yes. Who, why would he put so much into one thing? You and, know? And, uh, and you didn't realize that, uh, I think I was playing a game with you and you were playing a game with me because uh, right before the segment started, uh, they were at commercial. And we were all talking or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I was just kind of jabbing you a little bit, trying to get you to, to be excited. And then you you said to me right before it started, you said, how much you know, do you have in this? I said, 50%. The lights and cameras turn on. And that was the first thing you fired across. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, those that was then. and But in 2017, I had nibbled in. I'd start buying some Bitcoin and some... Um, you know, Ethereum at that time and a couple of other, I think US, uh, I can't remember when I bought my stable coins, but you know what happened to me? Because I'm in a highly regulated industry with, with you know, all my indexing and mm -hmm. all these financial services companies that I'm invested in. So I'm really regulated by the regulators. And I started talking about crypto and whoa, what a negative response back then. You remember it was, it was. Especially 2018 when it had dropped from 20,000 Bitcoin price to yeah. $3,200. So I got my wings clipped pretty, pretty hard by lawyers in Washington saying, you got to stop. I mean, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're a heavily regulated guy and you're out there on TV talking about Bitcoin, forget it. Well, and you talk about it as much as you want or not. But like, I think a lot of people think uh, Elon tweets something or there's somebody who is really bullish who all of a sudden is a little bit more bearish and uh, they call it the tap on the shoulder. Right. right. The, the like, hey, knock it off type thing. Yeah. Is that like, a, you know, goes through the back door conversations. And somebody just says, hey, you know, you should chill with that. Or is that like something that is uh, kind of more uh, stated, right, in terms no, of the way it works is I, I, I have to be compliant as per the compliance officers that work in these companies. Mm -hmm. Every single word I say, including this this podcast, is going to be re reviewed by compliance. Mm -hmm. And these are organizations I have to be compliant with because they have to be, they're telling the regulators that we are compliant and they have mm -hmm. to make sure that's their job. Yep. And so I, I started getting calls from lots of them in different companies saying, you're way offside and you've got to stop. And I did. And I, you know, um, what happened though, if only, it was only eight months ago uh, when the Swiss regulator, the French regulator, the German, uh, New Zealand, uh, Britain, Switzerland and Canada they started putting ETFs out. The regulators mm -hmm. had gone 360 or 180, whatever you call it, right? And I said, well, wait a second. Uh, I'm an investor in those jurisdictions. I have investments in all those jurisdictions. You know, I'm a global investor. I have them investments in all those currencies. I am going to buy some um, uh, Bitcoin as I can in, in those jurisdictions. We don't have it here yet the same mm -hmm. way, but it's coming, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And obviously the regulators have lifted their, their curtain or made it easier to do that. And so I started um, growing my position to 3%. Mm -hmm. I'm a five in the operating company. So we have 5% in gold, for example. I said, let's go crypto uh, to three. And we started buying coins and we started buying ether and we started you know, investing in a few other things. And then I started getting calls. And I think I've talked to you about this. I service uh, institutional clients mm -hmm. and sovereign funds. And they, they saw me on CNBC talking about my 3% weighting. And the phone lit up. It went nuts. And what was it about? It was about ESG. It was about this issue around sustainability. 
and saying, where'd your coin come from? I bet they were mined in China. I said, well, who cares? It's all fungible coin. It's Bitcoin's a Bitcoin. It's awarded, it's a coin. They said, well, we're, you're supporting coal, buy, coal burning uh, miners. You know, this issue I predicted would explode, and I think I've been right on that thing, but it hasn't changed my interest in uh, going long Bitcoin for a bunch of reasons, because I've gotten a lot more sophisticated now. What interests me the most right now is DeFi. I think it's where the puck is going, and I'll tell you why. So now I've got a large amount of capital tied up, 3% waiting in the operating companies, a lot of capital. And it's not yielding anything, right? So why don't, so I said to my guys, let's get into some DeFi and take a portion of the assets and wrap it into the Ethereum chain and let's start making some interest. Let's start looking at different ways that we can loan our, our assets out and start making four, five, six, seven, eight. You and I have talked about this. I have gotten way down that rabbit hole and, and I'm way deep into that now. What's up guys, bang, bang. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. But before we go any further, I wanna quickly tell you about today's sponsor, BlockFi. BlockFi's got four different financial products for crypto investors. You can deposit crypto and earn up to 8.6% APY in an interest-bearing account. You can deposit crypto and take out a US dollar loan against your crypto collateral. You can use their cryptocurrency exchange and have no trading fees, or you can get a new Bitcoin rewards credit card. It's a normal credit card that when you swipe, you get Bitcoin back rather than cash back or airline miles. I'm an investor in the business and a very happy user. I think you will be too when you go to BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. Go check it out and let me know what you think. All right, let's get back into this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So uh, let's stop for a second just yeah. so people understand where we are. So you got 3% of operating company being assets, right? Yeah. In crypto, you've got 5% in gold. Uh, first question is why still 5% gold, 3% crypto? Uh, I think a lot of people who've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of crypto either invert that, right? So it's 5% yeah. crypto, 3% gold, or like literally have gotten rid of the gold. So why still have more gold than crypto right now? You know, that it's a great question. And we've had that discussion internally every, we do our, our, our meetings uh, every Monday at 10 o'clock. We review the portfolio changes, et cetera. Uh, I know there's going to be a change there soon because it comes up every Monday now. Okay. Because we can't make any interest off gold and we now are starting to get yield and starting to make money. And, and the weird thing, as you well know, um, we've had tremendous volatility on Bitcoin this last 10 days. That actually enhances DeFi. It makes it better. I'm making way more on my contracts now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I said to the guys, look, um, and this is, you know, Brad, this is a, I haven't even told anybody this story. It's just unique. It's on your podcast because it's so new. Um, you only bring me the good stories. Well, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff. So I said to the guys on, the, on my crypto team, Look, um, this DeFi stuff is really complicated. It is mm -hmm. not easy. You know, we've got the MetaMask format. We've got all of these other platforms, all the stuff we have to do, these contracts. This is crazy complicated. Mm -hmm. But there must be millions of people that have a little bit of coin that want to make some 4 or 5 6% on it. Why don't you go find me a, a company, mm -hmm. a team that I can invest in that mm -hmm. will do a commercialized DeFi, and I mean, not not corporate, so that somebody that has a wallet that's got maybe, you know, 20 grand or 10 or $5,000 in it could easily do what I'm doing that takes a staff of four people. You're basically talking about more user-friendly, better user experience, an easy way, hey, I elect I want to do this, and uh, rather than me actually have to go in and do it myself, I can use this service to accomplish this. Yeah, and so they came up with this team. Again, it's in a different jurisdiction because it's Canada, which is very open these days. A Vancouver team 
that one of my crypto guys uh, introduced me to. Ben is the, uh, you know, and he's got a great, almost 20 people there doing this, that they're all ex-bankers. They understand the whole format. They're, they're, they're deep, deep, deep into the algorithms and all the code they're writing. And they said, look, we're, we're looking to raise some money here. Um, uh, do you want to be an investor? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take this on. I'll, I'll uh, but I want to buy a third of the company. I want to be a significant shareholder. Mm -hmm. And we negotiated for a while because you're going to be, we're, you're going to do two things for me. I'm going to help your company, but I'm going to give you a ton of capital. Mm -hmm. And you're going to manage it according to the way I want to manage it. And, and I, you're going to produce things that I want because I know if I want them, others are going to want them like tax returns. Mm -hmm. I want to press a button and get a tax return. I don't, I want to be compliant, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody does that yet. I don't want to have to sit there with an accountant and figure out all my trades. I want it automatically produced. He's working on that. His team is working on that. So we put, um, we put a significant round together for them, a $20 million round. Um, I'm the lead on that thing. And, uh, uh, I think it's going to be a great company. We haven't even announced it yet. It's uh, it's called uh, D5 Ventures. Um, I'm going to rename it to WonderFi because it's it's going to be my my vehicle, mm -hmm. and um, I think it's just the beginning. You know, some great things to come. And uh, so, when you go into DeFi, what exactly are you guys doing? You're taking Bitcoin that you own and well, here, Ether and earning. Here's what interest? I want, Pump. Okay. okay, I'm I'm a I'm an investor, so. There must be many other investors like me. I've made my decision to three to five percent allocation. Mm -hmm. Probably as you as you snuck out of me, I'm gonna be moving it up because mm -hmm. you're right, gold's not doing anything for mm -hmm. me. And, and well three and, plus five is eight, not five. Well, it could, so it you could, could get, get rid to of 10. all the gold. It could get to ten. It okay. could get to ten. All right. But you know, we're bound by certain covenants just in how we manage the operating company. T ten I feel like is on the upper bound of most conservative investors, right? So it still fits yeah. within the kind of bands, if you will. If you're a conservative investor, most of your focus is outside of crypto. Yeah. One to 10% is kind of the band. 10's up there, Bob. 5% is For an institutional investor, 10 is up there. Yeah, of course. Right now, that number for the big guys is 3%. They're mm -hmm. happy and they, they want Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. They haven't gotten past that yet. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is the property, the digital asset they mm -hmm. want. Um, and they want- It's a store it, of value. Store of value. Yeah. And you've been right on that. Can't deny that, okay? It's a, it's a volatile. Whoa, we might have to roll the tape back you there. You may have to erase that. <laughs> but my, my whole point is, the, the, it, it, it has inherent volatility, but mm -hmm. imagine, so here's my thoughts about DeFi. Okay, I've got the vol. I know mm -hmm. I'm gonna be up up and down 38% a year. That's what it's been historically, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're seeing that, we've had a crazy vol right here. We're literally recording this on a day that uh, yeah. it's been down 40% in a month. Okay, so <laughs> so let's say in, in my case, my DeFi company, of which mm -hmm. I'm a large shareholder now, I say to the guys, look, let's put a bunch of crypto on our balance sheet, mm -hmm. all right? I'm gonna own a third of that balance sheet or whatever I own in the balance sheet. Um, I want you to loan that out and get me between a four and a half and an 8% yield. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I have to mark to market the change in value mm -hmm. because it's going up and down, but I'm kind of agnostic because I'm owning it as property. I don't really care because it's an allocation. Let's say it's 5%. It's going to stay at 5 I'll change it every quarter, adding or taking away from it. But I want you to loan it out there. So the whole operation, the DeFi operation, is to start doing these contracts for me on an AI basis mm -hmm. so it can go look to the market, see what the spreads are on all these different opportunities. I don't want to get too complicated. With yeah, it, but it's I, basically yield farming. I, what exactly. you guys are going to do is yield farming. And then others that are interested like I am on taking their asset, and imagine if I could have over these years had a 5% yield on my gold. That mm -hmm. would have been incredible. Well, I can on my crypto. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm doing in DeFi. And I think I've got the best team in North America. Everybody says that. But I'm backing this team because I've done a lot of due diligence on them. 
And um, I, I think, you know, in the next few months, that will become part of our portfolio with a yield metric to it. Mm -hmm. So, you because know. what you're basically saying is uh, you're going to keep the assets denominated in the asset, right? Yeah. So, uh, let's say just for easy things, you have a uh, hundred ETH. You put that in. You want eight percent. So now you're going to end the year with a hundred and eight ETH, staying in ETH, regardless of did the price go up fiat. or down. I might go back to fiat to just pay some expenses, but I'm going to stay in ETH on that balance sheet. And you, as a shareholder, go with me in the share price as my assets grow. Do Do you think that because um, this is a really important piece that I think the traditional world hasn't woken up to yet? Sounds like you're now getting there. Is um, once you leave fiat into crypto, yeah. you don't go back. I don't want to go back. Okay. Why, why would I? Well, I don't know. You tell me. How, how do you think about it, right? So you've got 100% of your assets. You said, I'm going to take three. I'm going to put it into crypto. Yeah. Uh, maybe that goes up. Maybe it doesn't. Whatever. But let's just say it's three to 5%, whatever the allocation is. Once you put that into crypto, why are you not going back into fiat? Well, the reason I would come back out, let's say let's say our covenant is a max on 10, which at mm -hmm. most institutions, that is max arena. Okay. All right. So 10 is the max yeah, allocation it, because, of crypto. Because if you're going, you know, you basically, if you have LPs or you have other shareholders or you have other constituents, you've told them you have a covenant of diversification and it might be 10%, whatever it is, but it's not much higher than that. So when you get to 12% at the end of a quarter in your crypto, you're going to trim back to fiat. You're going to go back to 10% mm -hmm. or, or maybe, you know, um, and, and then you just sit in the weeds waiting for a correction and you buy back up to 10%. I, you know, I've been buying mm -hmm. like, I've been you bought the dip. Well, it's, it's, it's not really a dip. It's maintaining the three percent weighting, right? Yeah. No, but I'm saying the dip in the price. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but to me, it's okay. We're we're two point four, and we said we're at three. Buy up to three, mm -hmm. because we've had a correction. You can't call that that's a mm -hmm. correction. We just yeah. had. Well, I mean, look, in 2017, there was what six over 30 percent. I think right there was two 40 percent drawdown. So uh, it doesn't feel good, right? No, when, when the asset draws down, but it's not uh, atypical for the kind of historical bull runs, right? Right, which. Again, if you tell in the traditional world, uh, hey, there's going to be two 40% drawdowns, but you're going to go up 20x in a year, they're like, I'm out. Well, they, yeah. <laughs> right? they're they're like, like I'm, I'm out of this. <laughs> but but in this case, um, you end up with more coin after that correction. And then you're out loaning it out and you're getting your, and with that volatility, you just got 200 basis points more yield. Mm -hmm. People don't understand vol is good for yield. Mm -hmm. It's not good for your stomach, yep. but it actually helps you mine yield from your crypto. Mm -hmm. And so when you understand those smart contracts and how it's being loaned out, um, and, and I'm getting way more sophisticated. So mm -hmm. I look at it now with my team saying, okay, you know, you could even put leverage on this if you want, which mm -hmm. we don't, mm -hmm. but I think that's a crazy chicken move, mm -hmm. but you could really goose your yields. Why are you only targeting four and a half to 8%? Some of these can pay 20% or 30%. How, how, what's your duration? What, huh? what duration? Well, that, that's what I'm asking you, yeah. right? Is, is it just, you're saying, Hey, I want to be able to earn the four and a half to 8% forever. And the 20 to 30% is only there for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Like, how do you think about yield versus duration? So what we don't have is a long history of what that curve on duration looks like. You just mm -hmm. don't have it. We're mm -hmm. all pioneers in this. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a bond guy, I've been mm -hmm. a bond guy for decades. And so what I look at is duration and quality. Mm -hmm. you, don't ha you can't work with that yet. We don't mm -hmm. know. So I said, look, let's keep our contracts short. Let's understand the change in the deltas. Let's understand, you know, how inefficient the market is when there's a lot of volatility. Mm -hmm. Let's just gather our own data, mm -hmm. keep our powder dry. Let's only loan out 50% of our positions until we mm -hmm. understand how it works. And I should also disclose, I'm working with some of the larger corporate DeFi guys. Mm -hmm. I've opened accounts to manage some of my company's balance sheets. I'm putting up to 5% of our fiat currency into a strategy like this on our balance sheets. I don't talk about that too much, but I'm mm -hmm. letting you know, I'm saying, guys, 
we're in, you know, let's have an operating company that's sitting with, you know, $30 million in cash. Let's put million and a half Mm-hmm. into this strategy. We'll open an account. You'll understand how it works. You're the treasury. Let me show you how it works, how I'm doing it. Let's disclose to, uh, if, if they're private, we just have to s- disclose to our LPs what we're doing. I haven't anybody t- said to me, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. There are, everybody wants to learn. Mm-hmm. So instead of making nothing on our cash, which we're basically under inflation, we're, we're losing money on our cash, You know, we're picking up, we're doing better than four and a half. That was a few weeks ago when coin was very stable. Mm-hmm. Now, like today, I, you can get seven, eight, nine. As mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it's not impossible, and so I think. It's why only put five percent of the company's assets? Why not do more? If it's just yield, you're not taking the price risk necessarily in terms of th- that's the goal. Be- because the compliance um, departments are all in that. Let's tiptoe in. You you mm-hmm. know the, the, the concern. It's mm-hmm. it it really is a three percent number right now. Mm-hmm. There are some at five, mm-hmm. but the, here, here's the thing that everybody should understand, and because I, I live in this world. The potential is huge. You've got less than 1% of, of global corporations even thinking about crypto mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So as time passes and they see examples of what I'm doing and others are doing, and they start to tiptoe in, you're talking about billions of dollars mm-hmm. that are sitting on balance sheets making nothing. And so mm-hmm. it's going to become, that's good and bad news because the more money goes into that, the less yield you're going to be making. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of competition. And so, mm-hmm. but right now I'm tiptoeing through the tulips, you know, almost double digit yields. I think it comes down commensurate with the volatility. So you, here's the thing to understand. I don't want to get too complicated, but let's say when you put a lot of Bitcoin on your balance sheet, you're going to have vol, you're going to have volatility. The criticism of Tesla when watching, mm-hmm. they showed on CNBC today, all the balance sheets that have, you know, crypto on it, they're all down because people think, oh, woe is me. They've got crypto. It's going to affect their balance sheet. It does. But at the same time, they're loaning it out if they're smart, and they're bringing in yield that they never used to make on their cash. Mm-hmm. So over time, when people understand this, it'll offset it. I think people, when they hear this, are going to be very surprised to hear that you're buying the dip, you're getting into DeFi, you're earning yield, right? Those are uh, various, um, fairly sophisticated strategies compared to just buy Bitcoin, right? Or, uh, hey, I want to buy a mining stock, for example. Because you're getting more and more in the weeds, right? And I feel over the last like two years, maybe it went from, uh, hey, I probably shouldn't talk that much about this to, okay, maybe there's something interesting to 3%. Now, like, hey, let's start going further and further into the weeds. Where does this go like 10 years from now? Like if you just fast forward and you say, okay, hold on a second. Like there's a bunch of stuff that has to get built and, and get there. Eventually, is it just 100% of corporate balance sheets or, you know, in digital assets? And so there's digital dollars, but also Bitcoin, Ether, whatever. There's yield. There, there's like all, like a true decentralized financial system that gets built here kind of right out underneath of Wall Street. Or is there coexistence? Or like just, just like where are we going, I guess? I, I guess what's happening is the money is looking for the most frictionless way to actually be productive. And so the reason um, DeFi is so interesting Instead of paying those crazy 200 basis to 2% fees that these wallets are charging, I don't need those guys for anything. Maybe I need a ramp to put my fiat into Ether or whatever. But after that, I don't need them. And Mm -hmm. I can go and and do this for a fraction of those costs on a decentralized basis. Um, What got me into this was we're always trying to find a place for our cash. Like when we we haven't found an investment, we want some kind of yield on our cash. Mm -hmm. And right now we have a lot of cash because we sold a lot of commercial real estate during mm-hmm. just before the pandemic and during it because I'm worried about what happens to all that mm-hmm. office tower space. I'm not sure everybody's coming back the way they think. So 
One of the guys that works with Alex that runs all their adventures was one of our interns, heavy crypto. Eric's his name. I'm not going to tell you his second name so nobody bugs him. But he came to me and said, listen, you got a ton of cash here. Why don't we start a fund, a structured product that does exactly what we've been talking about? And I said, why is it going to be structured product? He said, because in the jurisdiction we're going to put the fund where you're going to invest the cash, they allow this. We don't allow it here in the U.S. yet, but there's other jurisdictions like Switzerland and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And you and you just report your gains to the IRS as you should to any other asset. And he worked on it. Uh, he went way down the rabbit hole on it. And um, he's still working on it. It may still come to pass. But in the meantime, I said to him, Eric, why don't you and Alice go find me a company that's doing this already? I don't need to have a fund. I got the cash. Mm-hmm. Let's just buy the company and put our cash on the balance sheet. If we're a large enough shareholder, we won't care. And uh, which is what we did. And he, so he found the company. He introduced me uh, to these guys in Vancouver, you know, uh, D5 Ventures. And I met the CEO and the whole team and I went, wow. And I showed other investors the team and said, hey guys, do you wanna come in with me? Put this deal together. And that's, that's actually how it happened. And along the way, uh, you know, I ran into guys you know, Josh Richards, his partner, Animal Ventures, all those guys. We all looked at it together and said, this is cool. So we're partners on it. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I mean, and he, you know, he, he, Josh is like some phenom, you know, Gen Z guy that wants to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay. Who's better at picking stocks, you or Josh? We did it We did it with wine the other day and he shouldn't even be drinking. <laughs> He's only 19. But I met his parents online. He's a great, cool kid. And, and uh, you know, Griff, his partner, and Mike, Michael Gruen, and all those guys, we have fun together. And uh, I actually introduced him to the crew at CNBC and I said, you gotta get this guy on as the Gen Z guy. Like you're the crypto guy, mm-hmm. I'm the institutional guy. He should be the Gen Z guy. Mm-hmm. He's very smart. I, I like him. And I said, you know, you want to come into a couple of deals with me? Let's work together and find some stuff. And he's been backed by some heavy hitters. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I know the whole story. Um, I, I think part of uh, what's so fascinating is uh, you have a lot of different worlds that collide, right? So you've got wine, you've got watches, you've got Shark Tank, you've got uh, commercial real estate, you've got your traditional kind of businesses and investing, uh, venture capital, and then you've also got crypto. Yeah. And when all that comes together, is it fair just to say like you're just looking for the best opportunities? You would be right. Uh, but you know, I'm like you. I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to get up in the day and say, everything that Nancy's plotted for this day, including being here with you, I want to do it. I mm-hmm. don't want to do stuff. I don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. but I want to do stuff. And I love working with entrepreneurs. I just, I like finding people and saying, look, don't do that because I've been there before and it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Do this, or I can help you here, I can help you here. And let me come along for the ride and let me bring in shareholders that invest beside me and let's do stuff together. I have a community of entrepreneurs that enjoy, like, you know, I work all day and all night and I love what I do. And I get up and play the guitar in the middle of the night. I I was wailing out in the balcony the other day at like two in the morning. I know they're pissed at me on the beach, but it was just fun for a couple of minutes. You just enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And so that that kind of, you know, it's it's like uh, live your life as as if there won't be another tomorrow and try and make some money because it's expensive. Can I ask you a somewhat personal question? Sure. I've never asked you this before. Do you have like a number in mind that you would eventually say, you know what, I've had my fun, but like I am now rich enough where like I want to walk away. Is there a milestone or is it literally you're going to die working and you'll just never retire? You'll never. Yeah, stop I'm, the I'm not I'm not working for money anymore. I don't need any more. I don't want to lose what I've got. Um, and there's always another watch to buy. And so, you know, every the, the reason 
I do deals is in my world, you have to do a deal to buy a watch. So you remember what deal that watch was from, and that's the collection. So I'm always doing deals to buy watches. That's basically the way I look at it. So I got a you know a massive watch collection now, and that community is a very interesting global community. I've met some of the biggest collectors in the world, mm-hmm. some of the princes in the Middle East. I'm friends with them now because you know we were on WhatsApp talking about different watches. It's a great community to be associated with, and when we find a rare piece, uh, you know everybody gets excited about it, and it's just I don't know, it's it's just interesting. I enjoy it. So. What is it? Why are you doing it? Is it literally just to get a watch? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. You enjoy it. I, I, I know you well enough at this point now. I know you enjoy this stuff. I do. Right? But I'll tell you why I do it. I tried the other way. I took, on, on my first big score, the sale of a learning company, it was, it was a $4.2 billion transaction, including the debt. There were 10 of us as founders. We had all started in, with, in middle class or, you know, no money. And, and we'd worked together for, you know, I don't know, 12 years or something. And then that was a massive liquidity. And I remember when we closed, we were in Cambridge and we were sitting around a table just like this, 10 of us, you know, having lunch. Uh, we, we ordered in some lunch to talk and we closed the deal. So now we were funded. And, and I said to everybody, what, what's everybody going to do? I mean, like, you know, we're, we're, they bought our company. They don't need us. Uh, what are we going to do? And um, how old are you at this point? I think I was uh 30, maybe early 30s, maybe 29. Okay. All right. So around 30. Yeah. Around 30. All right. And, um, I said, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to take, uh, time off. I'm going to go to every beach on earth. (laughs) I just want to go to every beach on earth, including those ones in Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, you know, these incredible beaches, the Northern uh, part of Cyprus, these, all these legendary beaches. And I did, it took me three years. And at the end of it, I was bored out of my fucking mind. I mean, I just said, this sucks. It was depressing. This is it. This is all I do is go to beaches and sit there and get drunk. It's just boring. And I got back in the game. I mean, I just got, and I started doing deals like crazy and I put my capital to work. I became an investor, not an operator. I, I made some great scores. I made some cat, you know, catastrophic failures. Mm-hmm. I lost millions, I made millions. And then I got in the groove and I figured out what is it I'm good at and, you know, um, and then the Shark Tank thing came along and that became a huge platform. Mm-hmm. Um, then the CNBC thing came along and it kind of just morphed into this, uh, you know, like, you know, people know exactly, I'm pretty transparent. Not everybody likes me. They think I tell the truth too much, but you know, business, I think it's good. But anyways, it is what it is at this point. So I'm kind of w- w- riding the wave, looking for opportunities. Shark Tank got renewed? Yes, 13 just season. got announced 13 seasons. I mean, you know, uh, Nobody can believe what happened there. Like nobody, nobody. Um, I have another show I taped at Telemundo here in Miami, which will be announced this week. I'm excited about it, but you know the What's network wants to keep it a secret till maybe next week. I don't know when. But Telemundo is a. I'll tell you, I'd never been to that studio before. It is the most modern studio in the world. It's completely digital. The whole thing is wired digitally. Even the hmm. signs are all digital. They can change anything. Temperature in one part of the room. It's, it's, and it's massive. When J-Lo rehearsed for her Super Bowl act, mm-hmm. she did it in a soundstage there. The wow. size of a football field. Wow. And I was taping right beside that when I, and I went and looked at it and went, this place has its own weather zone. It's so big. The ceilings were so high. Yeah, And that's it's crazy. just north of the airport. It's a massive facility. Yeah. Um, Shark Tank, 13th season versus the first time you went on. 
does it still just as exciting? Is it still just as fun or is it different now? Well, a, t a few things have changed. Um, first of all, venture capitalists have now figured out that they get to 100 million eyeballs for free. So you've got all of these VC-backed deals like with 50 million valuations, 100 million valuations. And my attitude about that is I don't give a shit what your valuation is. If, if you want me as an investor, I'm carving my own deal. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to take it, but it's going to be that makes me get, get a special position because I add way more value than your VC does. Nobody knows who your venture capitalist is. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they, they don't know the brand, but who cares? They're all the same. And they all want preference shares and all this stuff. And I'm not saying they're bad people. I love venture capitalists, but I don't need them. I, mm -hmm. I can raise my own money for my firms in my own way. And I don't like preference shares. I don't like shares that are sitting above me and have rights I don't have. Mm -hmm. That just pisses me off. So I don't mm -hmm. use that stuff. So we get a lot of those companies now, Paul. We get all these companies that say, if only we could get on Shark Tank, right? So we get they have to weed a lot of those out because they're just gold diggers. Then we get some really interesting stuff on direct-to-consumer. Mm-hmm. Like there's a trend emerging in America. Let's just take the food group, for example. Low sodium, low sugar, mm -hmm. low cal, mm -hmm. totally healthy, like really eclectic verticals where people, you know, that really care about health will make a different kind of coffee or a different kind of peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And what I find, what I, what, what I see happen on those deals is when they hit the airwaves, you sell $5 million worth of it in mm -hmm. one hour. Yeah, A lot of people are into that health thing. So that's a big change because in the old days, we just have pizza sauce and, you know, just hot sauce and yeah, more yeah. sauce. And, you know, now it's sauce with no sodium, totally fresh, no preservatives, all that kind of stuff and, and things like that. And, and really, they come in knowing which shark they want. They know us so well now. Mm -hmm. I want to deal with, you know, Damon and clothing or, you know, I want to do a financial thing with Kevin or whatever it is. And anything in the wedding industry, that's me. I love love. <laughs> uh, I want to leave with the best story from Shark Tank that you've ever told me, which is your best investment, which is the potatoes. Yes. Tell us the story and what happened uh, since you did this deal. Yeah. So it's called Potato Parcel. And... <laughs> It's a company that- I'm imagining Damon being here right now and just laughing his head no, off. No, he, and he did, he did. This guy comes on and he says, I take a potato, a real potato, and I, you send me your image digitally and I imprint your face on the potato. <laughs> and then I ship it to somebody for you in the US mail. And then they put the potato with the little toothpicks in a little thing of water and the potato grows right through your face. And it, and it takes months to do it and crazy stuff happens, right? I said, that's really, really stupid. I mean, that is incredibly stupid and what a stupid business this is. And he said, well, what is it you care about in business? Sales, right? And I said, of course, but nobody would buy that crap. And they said, oh yeah, look at this. <laughs> he had like 30% growth a month and he was really good at SEO. He was really mm -hmm. good on, on digital, really good on social. He was telling the story. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm never gonna invest in this thing, it's so stupid. And I said to him, well, how about I get a chunk of equity, but I want a royalty, I want a book. But hold on, you'd already seen one example of something stupid yes. make money, right? That's an important part of the story. Well, it's true. I saw, I wanna draw a cat for you. Yes. Which was the stupidest, most <laughs> stupid thing I'd ever seen. Which one's dumber, potato head or I wanna oh, draw no. a cat? Draw a cat for you is incredibly stupid. You pay a guy <laughs> to draw a cat and then he mails it to you. Like, 
And Cuban invested in that and made a fortune. I thought yeah, that yeah. is the stupidest, stupid. Because he had the song, right? He like had yeah, some stupid had little dance, song. He danced yeah. like a cat. And all. it was like, so I thought it's such a piece of trash. What a stupid idea. <laughs> and it did a ton. Yeah. And, and and really really high margins because this guy would just sit down and draw a cat and he had other cat drawers like <laughs> it's, it's so dumb. So when I saw the potato parcel, I said, "There's room in my portfolio for a potato parcel company." Now remember, on Shark Tank, you calculate you're, you're putting out capital, so you really want the internal rate of return on mm -hmm. that capital. Mm -hmm. in, in in really nascent venture investing, it's return of capital, not return on capital. You care about that thing aired, and I got my money back in like 45 minutes. Really? And so it has the highest return ever for me in a shark. Everything, because I had a dollar royalty on every potato, mm -hmm. and I own, I can't remember what percentage, I forget what I own of the company. But that thing has, has just spun cash. Mm -hmm. And I got calls from CEOs of major corporations saying, listen, I want to buy 1,500 potatoes for my sales force globally and ship them, and I want a discount. And I say, no way. There's no discount. I'm the only kid in town for potato. Like, <laughs> you have a monopoly on faces. We, yeah, on, we, on, nobody else puts a face on a potato the way we can. Plus our new gift box, Pomp. We get a premium <laughs> gift box with a beautiful little label on it and a gift package with your face in the potato. And it comes to your door and you're just thrilled to death. We are pumping those out by the hundreds of thousands. And there's no discount. I mean, this is the El Supremo potato. <laughs> and so... There, it just shows you with the right social media platform what you can do. Mm -hmm. and, and, and these are real entrepreneurs. They're real business. It's not a bullshit business. So it's made money. It bought Listen, a watch. I'll tell you that. I, I'm proud of you because three years ago when I went on the CNBC set yeah. and you hit me with, you were forbidden. <laughs> you're not at 50% yet. Yeah. But... Uh, you're at three, maybe five, maybe can get well, you to you ten. Well, you know, you're, you're headed in the right direction. Yeah, we are, and I think we could eventually get. We may, we may abandon our gold position, which is significant. We pay the way we own gold is we own the GLD for rebalancing, even though it's it's more expensive. It's very liquid, but we also store gold and pay for the storage. Mm -hmm. So we it costs us money to hold an asset that has no yield, and that's the argument that that the committee makes about the gold position we've got saying, think about this, it's reversed interest. If gold stays flat, it costs us to own it. Why don't we just allocate 200 basis points of the gold portfolio, just sell down our GLDs, go to fiat, and then just buy in, you know. Bitcoin. Yeah, or, or you know, whatever. You, you, can, you don't have to just buy Bitcoin, but buy a portfolio mm -hmm. of different at crypto, uh, you know, crypto assets, and then do the contracts. And I'm, I'm opening up to it um, because proof is in the pudding. And so it, it's just, and you, and the, the weird thing is that, the, and you said it earlier, you don't want to go back to fiat. And so you're saying to yourself, I'm going to live with more and more vol, because you are, as you build up that asset, but you feel a lot better about getting yield off it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it's working for you while you're sleeping, as opposed to most people think they just own Bitcoin in their wallet, pay their ridiculous fees to their wallet, which they don't have to. I mean, people are going to figure this stuff out. They're going to start to see DeFi can be a lot cheaper, less, less friction. You can still be compliant. Mm -hmm. I don't want to break any laws. I mm -hmm. want to be compliant because i got a lot of other assets. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want this version of what we're doing in Vancouver with the, uh, you know, the DeFi Ventures guys. I want that to be compliant to the point where I just press a button and get my tax return. Mm -hmm. you know. That's how it works. Yeah, I mean, it, it can. So I'm very excited. I mean, obviously, you've been riding the wave a lot longer than I have, but but I'm caught up pretty damn fast. You're, you're coming along. We just got to get you to stop. Uh, the other thing you said one time was uh, crypto garbage. 
not garbage, garbage, which yeah. is a little bit above garbage, I no, think. No, but I, I liked it, and it, it, it's now legendary out there, and everybody nails me to the wall on that thing. They and, say and it? And they say, they say, you're the guy that called it garbage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, my friend Kevin O'Leary, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. The time flies when I'm talking with you, Bob. <laughs> That's terrific. Take care, everybody.